fathers. Happy Father's Day. You may be seated, by the way. <laughs> well, some of you can be seated. The rest of you stand up. <laughs> We're in Genesis chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 14 through 26. And as we're going through the days of creation, we looked last week at how God himself is the primary light of his universe. How our Lord was the light of the world before he created the sun, the moon, and the stars. And how God put time into motion before the earth was set in motion. We have God dividing light, evening and morning, before the fourth day of creation. On the fourth day of creation is when he created the sun, moon, and the stars. It's fascinating because we base time upon the Earth's rotation and orbit around the sun. Yet God established time before that. So as we begin our study today, we're going to start with the fourth day of creation, which is in verse 14 of chapter 1. Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be signs and seasons for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light ruled the day, and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on earth, and to rule over the day, over the night, and to divide the light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and morning were the fourth day. God simply says, let there be light, i.e., the sun, moon, and stars, and they were so. God has given us identification signs in the heavens. God knew we needed things like sunrises, even though it's the earth rotating, but we need those constant things to help us to stabilize us, and we get them every morning. God knew we needed things like the North Star. You ever think about the North Star? To help us navigate the seven seas. The North Star, or Polaris, as it, I guess that's its real name, it sits near the North Pole, and therefore its movement is very limited as the Earth rotates around. The North Star being a constant for navigation purposes. In Psalm 19.1, David, he cries out, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament show his handiwork. And that is so true. But astrology happens to be a satanic corruption of God's message in the stars. <laughs> Example, the Zodiac. Who's not familiar with the Zodiac? And its constellations have different names in different cultures 
But the animals of the zodiac, which they don't look like those animals, but the animals of the zodiac happen to be the same in all cultures. And that points to a satanic pre-Babel origin. Satan has taken the stars up of the heavens and all the constellations and he's given them an evil message. Horoscopes and the zodiac are counterfeit. They're evil and they're evil ways that men try to predict the future. In Psalm 147 and in Isaiah 40, we read where God himself has numbered the stars and he has a name for each one. Consider that because there's billions of stars. And the stars, they have a message. They declare the glory of God. Now the vastness of space, it's staggering to my thinking. My little mind can't begin to wrap around the vastness of space. But when a person will gaze up into the night sky and they look upon the heavens and they see stars, some faint and some bright, pick out a little patch in the heavens about the size of the moon. And in that little spot, there is about one million galaxies, not stars, galaxies. That is a phenomenal number. Now each galaxy that you see contains billions of stars, and that's in just the little size of the moon up there. Our galaxy, the Milky Way, is so enormous that it takes 250 million years for the Milky Way galaxy make one revolution. That's quite big. The Andromeda galaxy, our nearest neighbor, our nearest galaxy, is about 12 million trillion miles away. And that's the closest one to us. Isaiah tells us that God has measured the waters, the oceans, in the hollow of his hand. He's also measured the heavens, and he's measured the heavens by the span of his hand. The same way mankind will measure the height of a horse, God has measured the heavens. And our God has even calculated the dust or the sand of the earth. Again, numbers that are staggering. And speaking of size and numbers, let me mention to you where some of our tax dollars are being spent. Our government has an agency that they give a hundred million dollars a year and this agency's job is to look for extraterrestrial intelligence on other planets. hundred million a year. However, 
for life to exist the way we know life, there are precious few planets that will sustain life, that could even support life, much less bring it into uh, its origin. Here are some of the factors that are needed for life. Star location to a planet. Star mass in relationship to that planet. Star color or the distance to that star. Axis of a planet in relation to a star. The speed of that axis. The gravity on the surface of a planet. Tidal forces, magnetic fields, oxygen quantities, and there are about 20 other factors that are needed to support life. Not to bring life into existence, just to sustain life. And all the ingredients of life to exist on one singular planet, and this doesn't mean much to many of us, but it's, it's staggering, for the ingredients of life to exist on one planet, it's 10 to the 42nd power. That's a huge number, by the way. But there also happens to be a possibility of only 10 to the 22nd power because that's all the number of planets there are. So it's twice the number, at least twice the number, the improbability of it even happening. Another statistic that boggles my mind, God created light in a mature way. What do I mean by that? Light already existing, light having already traveled. God, God created light there. The same way God created Adam a fully mature human being. Now we know that light travels fast, 186,000 miles per second. To try and understand that speed, we, we come up with a lot of examples, a lot of, you know, little formulas and things. But uh, there's one that I really like, so I'm going to tell it to you. You're standing on K2, or Mount Everest, and you got your little light gun, and you got a light bullet in your gun, and you shoot that bullet due east. It will pierce you seven times before you can fall to the ground, and that's it going around the earth seven times in one second. That's quite quick, by the way. And then we look at verse 17. God set the sun, the moon, and the heavens to give light on earth. Light to rule over the day and night. Dividing time as we know it. And God said, this is good. And that's the fourth day. Now let's look at verses 20 through 23, or the fifth day. 
Then God said, Let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures. Let birds fly above the earth, across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created the great great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abound according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply, fill the waters of the sea that the birds multiply on earth. So evening and the morning were the fifth day. God created birds He created sea creatures according to its kind, and likewise he creates animals in the same way. And what what it really means is two two dogs can be very different, but two dogs never produce a duck. There's variety in what we call species. Dogs can and are different from one another, but there is never, ever one fossil record of a dog being half of a duck. And I'm trying to bring the absurdity to to focus here. Darwin's strongest opponent was not the clergy, by the way, but fossil experts. A dog or a duck a thousand years ago still looked like a dog or a duck today. Evidence of slow evolutionary changes in species is completely missing in the fossil records. A fellow named Niall Eldridge, and he's a famous paleontologist, declares, we paleontologists say The history of life, the fossil records, support the story of gradual evolution, all the while knowing it is not true. Hmm. The fossil record rejects slow change within a species. And there is no accurate fossil record of any mutation or sudden change in any species that's legitimate. Now they'll go out and they'll find a bone here, then they dig 300 miles over there and they find another bone. And say, oh, this is the jaw of an ape. It was halfway between man, but they didn't find them on the same dig site. It's interesting what you can do to try to manufacture your own uh, support. Perhaps God, though, our designer created ducks to be ducks and dogs to be dogs and he created us also and let's look at verses 24 and 25 and God said let the earth bring forth the living creatures according to its kind cattle and creeping things the beast of the earth each according to its kind and it was so And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God creates land animals. And he creates land animals from giraffes to mice, from cows to coyotes. 
God creates them. And there have been animals that have gone extinct. And there are other animals that are downright humorous to look upon. But God appeared to take delight and joy in just creating different kinds of animals. Now out on the farm we have a little bug that we call a lightning bug. Now if you call it a firefly, you're not from the south. That's a lightning bug. And yet you look out there and you go, what does it do to make itself illuminate? How does it do that? I think God took pleasure in just making little things like a lightning bug. But now we come to God's greatest creation. And I know he took delight in making man. Not because we are egotistical do we declare that God delighted in making us. But mankind is a delight and we are a great creation because we are created in the likeness and the image of our God. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over the earth, over every living creeping thing that creeps on the earth. We have here in this verse our triune God saying, let us make man in our image and our likeness. God himself being a compound spirit is having a conversation within the Godhead. And it appears from other scripture verses that the angels are privy. They hear this conversation. But God created in his image man and he separated from all other life forms. And there is an unbridgeable gap between animal life and human life. Never has God declared that man was an animal. In fact, God says, have dominion over the animals. And angels, right now, momentarily, in this age we live in, they're higher in authority and a power than human beings. But we, mankind, are created in the image of God and the likeness of God, not angels. Again, we have an unbridgeable gap between mankind and angels. Angels, they're messengers of God. They're servants of God. And an angel can never have the relationship with God that you and I can have. Consider the incarnation. When God came to earth, he became a man. Not because we're so good, but because we're created in his image. Angels or some other 
evolutionary species, God did not choose to come back as any animal or an angel. He came as a man. Just like our scripture reading in Philippians 2.7, Jesus made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men. Jesus willfully subjected himself to the characteristics of a human being, willfully subjected himself to the limitations of a human being. Therefore, to God, mankind, or human life has more value than any other life form. Contrast that to the satanic plot to destroy human life. And how murder and killing is totally against God's plan for mankind. But let me take it a step further. And today, we have man-made laws that give a person the right to destroy life and the label we put on that is a woman's right to choose. It is an evil, satanic plot. We have taken God's given privilege to reproduce and have said that a mother's womb is now the most dangerous place in the world for a baby. Now, don't let me go any further without making this well known. There is forgiveness for any sin, and that includes abortion. And when you speak to a group, I don't care if that be a small group or a large group, but when you speak to any sizable group, there's always some person in that group that has been impacted by abortion. All I can say is we do not have to carry that guilt. We can enjoy the forgiveness by Jesus. And I urge anyone that has been affected, been part of, in any way, an abortion, receive that forgiveness from your Lord. But I have a point here, and that is to bring to surface Satan's plot to destroy life that only God can give. It's an evil plot. As Christians, as the church, we must take a stand on protecting God-given life. For only man has God created in his image. We have personality. We have morality. We have spirituality. Man alone speaks and conveys his thoughts and ideas to others. Consider this. Only a man has facial expressions. We can smile. We can frown. Only a man will blush when he's embarrassed. No animal has ever blushed. 
Only man has a will to decide and to plan out his life. Only man can, in and of himself, increase his knowledge by reading and so forth. Man is the only creature that has instant morality, knowing from earliest childhood until we leave, knowing right from wrong. Every culture in the world condemns murder. And only man is created with what we call spirituality. We're the only ones that have the ability to believe and communicate with our Creator. We're created like God in the fact that we can see, we can hear, we can smell, touch, speak, think, plan, etc., etc. Let me close with this. God gave us, mankind, authority and dominion over the animal kingdom. We're not to abuse that authority. In fact, in the Old Testament, a man was judged on how good he was to his animals. We're to be good to our animals. But most of you know that we have a black lab named Moses. Now Moses is a good old dog, and that's what he is, a dog. But he's not human. And when we had Moses neutered, the vet's assistant called me, and I'll never forget this, and she said to me, your baby is ready to be picked up. To me, that was a gross misrepresentation that I could not allow to go unchallenged. As a believer, I had to say something to that. And I said, Moses is my dog. He is not my son or my child. And my Christian friend, we are children of God. And we should never allow any professor, any teacher to degrade us into being an animal. And far as that goes, you never allow a veterinarian to degrade us into that either. I have human children. I don't have dogs that I call a child. And here we are on Father's Day. One of the greatest God-given rights we have as fathers is to raise and care for our human children. And so I say, God bless all you fathers today, self-included. For we are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image and the likeness of our God. Amen? Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer.
Father, first of all, we as your offspring, you have given us the right to become children of God, and that's by believing. And we're a group of believers, Lord, so we are your children, and we thank you for creating us. We thank you for giving us life. We thank you for giving us intelligence and spirituality, Lord. And thank you for making us above the animals. And so, in and of our own free will, we pray to you, we worship you, and we give thanks and praise to you. For you are our Lord and you are our God. May we always stand up to those that would try to make us into some higher species of an evolutionary animal, Lord. Thank you for creating us and giving us a soul and creating us in your image, Lord. We do thank you for that. For you're our Lord and you're our God and you are our creator. And we worship you and we praise you this morning. And we do so in the name of Jesus.